Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, anybody a collector, or were you a collector as a kid? I recognize like sometimes like those are uh, more of a kid thing. So I brought with you one of my collections. This is my baseball card collection. And you might say like, why is it in a duffel bag, Brian? Well, because my parents didn't like it being in their basement anymore, like years and years ago. So like, you've got to get all these baseball cards out of my house. And I'm like, well, I don't want them in my house. Now that I'm like grown up, I don't know where to put these things. So they've been in a duffel bag in my closet. Um, so, but as I show you these, like think through maybe some of your collections. My kid has collected all kinds of different things. Like goodness, like what, rocks, cards, Pokemon, all the things. Uh, so if you go through these, these are all my baseball cards. I grew up in Cincinnati. So tons of Reds cards in here. You go through all of these, but out of all of the binders, this box, this box has my favorite cards in it. So these are the ones that are too good for the binder. So if I were to open this one up, you'd see um, some some personal favorite ones. Uh, For example, this card right here. Now, uh, if you're an avid baseball fan, especially if you grew up in in Cincinnati or the area, uh, when you talked about Reds, and in the time frame when I was growing up, it was always about Chris Sabo. Chris Sabo, none of you care. All right. <laughs> Let me tell you why everybody loved Chris Sabo. Chris Sabo was just cool. Like every kid wanted to be Chris Sabo, especially with the Reds. He had these awesome glasses. Like Chris Sabo just rocks. He's great. So I kept his card in here. I also have a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Now some of you know what baseball is. Good job. I was hoping I didn't have to explain that one. Now, here's the downside to me having a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. Uh, This was before he was with the Reds, obviously. The reason it's kind of a a, a bad thing is uh, when you're like six, seven, eight, nine years old, um, and people tell you, like, hold on to those. That might be worth something someday. You're like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to put it on the back of my bike and listen to this. (laughs) That's why Ken Griffey Jr. doesn't look so good. Because he has been through a lot for a six, seven, eight, nine-year-old. But now that I'm older, I'm like, man, I should take better care of that. I might have been your college right there, Connor, but not anymore. Sorry, kiddo. But I, but I say all this with Chris Sabo, Ken Griffey Jr., all these cards and a whole duffel bag full of things that I've collected. I say that because if you were to say, Brian, I want to I make a trade with you. I've got something. I'm going to trade you for, for Chris Sabo. I'm going to be like, nope, no chance. Right? Even as a kid, you know, you try to make trades and you would easily say, no, 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 that's, that's not a good trade. Like these cards are super valuable to me. Even if, even if they're not worth anything, to me, they're extremely valuable. It's taken a lot of time over the years to collect all of these cards. So no, I, I'm not just going to trade them for anything. I mean, there's not a lot that I would trade for. Like these, these are, are is my childhood growing up. So I'm not just going to trade them for no good reason. And I think for us in our life, we have spent a lifetime of collecting things. We've spent a lifetime trying to collect and gather things, things that we really don't want to give up, not just give up, things that we don't even want to trade for. Because in order to make the trade, it has to be a good trade. Like, I have to be okay with it. You have to be okay with it. We have to be willing to consider it a good trade. And and there's a lot of things in our lives that we're just like, I don't want to trade that. I've worked too hard. I've gotten too much stuff. I've got too much comfort that it's not worth me trading anything for. So here's what I want you to be thinking about as we go through our day-to-day. Not my baseball cards and not Ken Griffey Jr. Please, like if you walk away like, man, Brian talked about Ken Griffey Jr. I've done a terrible job as your pastor this morning. <laughs> here's what I want you to be thinking through, starting now. God, what have I collected 
that I'm unwilling to trade? What have I collected? What have I gathered? What do I now have that, God, I don't really want to let go of? I don't want to trade. Because this whole month, we've been going through a Bible teaching series all on prayer, specifically prayers of trades, prayers of exchange. We've identified several different types of prayers, right? Just let me recap for a second to catch you up if you haven't heard this yet. There's prayers of provision, where we say, God, I have a need, and I need you to provide for me. That is a prayer of provision. We're supposed to pray those prayers. Those are godly prayers. God promises to be our provider, to provide when we ask him. So we pray prayers of provision. We also pray prayers of intervention. God, I need you to supernaturally show up. God, if you don't do something, then there's no one else that can do anything. The only way for this to work out, God, is for you personally to show up in a supernatural way. That is God intervening. That is a prayer of intervention. We also have prayers of conversation. Prayers are intended to be personal. They are intended to be relational. So we pray these prayers of conversation that sounds like you're talking to a father, talking to a mom, talking to a best friend. So we pray prayers of conversation. But what we're focused on this month are these prayers of exchange that says, God, I have my wants. God, I have my wishes. God, I have my desires. God, I have my will. I have my life. But I'm going to trade it with yours. So God, whatever you want is what I want. God, whatever you think is what I want to begin to think. God, what breaks your heart is what I want to break my heart. God, what you desire is what I want to desire. And God, what your will is, that's my will. Whatever you want, I will trade you with mine. That's a prayer of exchange. So again, the question, what have you collected? Probably not baseball cards. Comfort, success, resources. What have you collected that God might be saying, it's time for a trade. Give me what you've got, and I'm going to give you what I've got. And I promise you, it's going to be a great trade. Let's pray, and we'll jump into our story this morning. God, thank you so much for how you work and how you speak and how you move. I pray that you would speak to us individually this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we all have a life that, in many ways, we have created, a life that we have fought for, a life that we have put together, a life that we have built. And I pray that we don't hold so tightly to what we have that we're unwilling to pray a prayer of exchange. So God, would you loosen our grip on all that we have collected, and may we seek you above all else. And God, we want to hear from you. What are you calling us to? What would you like us to do? May it be your will, not ours. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 uh, today. Exodus 3 is one of many, many examples of these types of prayers uh, these prayers of exchange specifically that say, God, here's what I've got, and I'm going to trade it with what you want to give me. I'm going to trade what I have with what you want to do. I'm going to trade my will with yours. You can see these all over, story after story after story, where God is, is calling us to make that trade. And so we have to make the decision, do I just hold tightly on to it? No, 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 I'm not going to let this go. Or, okay, God, your will, not mine. Okay, God, not what I want, but what you want. We see that in Old Testament, New Testament, where God calls us to make that kind of 
trade. The story we're going to look at today, obviously Old Testament, Exodus chapter 3. It's a story of Moses. Now, before we get into it, let me give you a little context. I'm sure you know the part of Moses. He goes to Pharaoh, and he goes up to Pharaoh, and he says the very famous line, let my, finish it for me, let my people go. Yes. Now, this story that we're going to read is before Moses says that. This story is before Moses actually goes to Israel uh, or goes to Egypt to free the Israelites, but it's in this kind of hard space for, for Moses. You see, Moses started out, and you can read his story uh, earlier on. I don't have time to go through all of it, but basically, Moses lived, he was a Hebrew, but lived in Pharaoh's house, made some bad decisions, and so ran away literally for his life, and now he's started to rebuild his life. Right? He's got a family now. He's married. He's got a new job. He's out in the wilderness. He tends to flocks. So he's kind of rebuilt his life because what he had before was lost. And this is where we pick up the story. In the midst of Moses, rebuilding his life has started to kind of collect a new life with him. And notice what God is going to call him to do. Here's the story. Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement, as we all would. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Now, before we go any further, I mean, I'm sure many of you are familiar with this story, Moses and the burning bush, God speaking to him in that way. But what fascinates me about this story is how it begins. Verse 1, one day, while Moses was doing his everyday job, that's when God spoke. That's when God called him. And I love that aspect because so many times we're expecting God to show up. We're expecting him to speak or move or call us in an intentional environment where we're expecting it. We want God to move when we say so. We want God to move and speak when we're prepared for it. And I love that God chooses to call Moses one day while he was doing his everyday job. And I bring that up because tomorrow morning when you go through your everyday routines tomorrow, I hope you look at it totally different. Instead of just, it's just another Monday. What if you woke up saying, I wonder what God might do today. Today is one day where I'm going to be doing my typical mundane job. And we're going to go through all the typical mundane, mundane routines of our family. But maybe God has something in store. Maybe God has something different for me today. I pray that you wake up every day with a little different perspective, with anticipation, with expectation. Moses wasn't sitting around praying that God would show up, and then God showed up. It was one day when Moses was doing his normal, everyday routine, and God changed everything. So tomorrow's just not a normal, everyday who knows what God might have in store for you, how God might want to use you and call you and speak to your heart. When we would just say, eh, just one day. For God, it can be so much more. So man, every day has the potential to be a day that God does something incredible in your life. Verse four, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses' reply, here I am. Now, you can read, here I am, in two different ways. You can read it as, here I am physically. God, you called? Yes, I am right here. 
You can read it just like that. I would encourage you to read it through your life lens as not just, here, I'm physically here. It's like taking attendance here. Don't think of it in that way. This is a whatever you want, Lord. Here I am ready for you. God, whatever you have to say to me, my answer is yes. Wherever you want to call me, my answer is yes. Wherever you want to lead me, my answer is I'll follow. So instead of reading this as just, yes, I am present, what do you want? Could I encourage you in your own life, begin to process that phrase, Lord, here I am, as God, whatever you want. I haven't heard your call yet. I don't know what you're going to ask me to do, but here I am. I am willing, I am available, and my answer is yes. Now, as we're going to see, that's not the perspective that Moses took when he said, here I am. His response was, here I am, like, yes, this is me. Who's talking to me? What's happening right now? But we're going to see that begin to change over the course of the story. Verse 7, God begins to speak and explain why God is showing up. Verse 7, then the Lord told him, talking to Moses, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. Maybe somebody here just needs to know that God's aware. You've been asking God, where are you? God, why? And he hasn't answered you the way that you want him to answer. But know that he is aware. Verse 8, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites and Hittites and Amorites and all the other ites now live. Verse 9, now look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, God said, and I have seen how harshly the, the Egyptians abused them. This is great news for Moses, right? Just like in our situations, when things don't go well, we want to know that God knows. We want to know that he's aware. We want to know that he cares. We want to know that he's going to do something about it. So God shows up, speaks to Moses, says, Moses, I know about the hardships, I know about the suffering. I know about the oppression. I've heard their prayers. I'm not just aware of it. I'm about to do something about it. God says, I've showed up because I'm going to rescue them from the Egyptians. So Moses is thinking, this is great news. We've been waiting for this moment. It's been a problem. It's been a major issue. It's happened for generations. Now, finally, God is going to do something about it. So God goes through all of this monologue. I know about it. I'm aware of it, and I'm going to do something about it. And then verse 10 changes things completely. Verse 10, God says to Moses, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, my people Israel, out of Egypt. Could you just imagine Moses like hearing all this, like, yes, God's going to do something. God knows what's going on. He does love us. He does care. He hasn't forgotten about us. Wait, say that last part again. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, God. Uh, you're talking through the middle of a burning bush. It's kind of hard to hear from you. Did you say I'm supposed to go? You, you, you mean me? I thought you said you were going to do something, God. Why are you sending me? Oh, it changes everything, doesn't it? When God called Moses, he said, there's a problem, and I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to send you, Moses. I am sending you. It makes that phrase, here I am, seem a little bit more meaningful now, doesn't it? Here I am. And God says, great, I'm glad you're there. Now I'm going to use you, and I'm going to send you to rescue my people. Let's talk about calling for a second. 
Let me clear some things. If you've grown up in church, I'm sure you've heard that phrasing used in a Christian biblical context before, where we are called in certain ways. Now, the problem with that word is it means a lot of things to a lot of different people, right? What we just read about God calling Moses, that is a calling, right? Now, here's the problem. I'm going to tell you two things about calling. The first one is do not overemphasize calling. What does that mean? Here's what I mean by that is oftentimes when we think of calling, we think of this Moses version of calling. Like it's God saying, like, leave everything and go to some other place. When I did student ministry and we would walk through the idea of listening to God and following him and answering his call, like students would be so freaked out. They'd be like, but Pastor Brian, like, what if God calls me to like leave my whole family and like go to Africa when I don't really want to go there and I don't think I could make it there? I don't know. I'm like, whoa, what are you freaked out about? What if God calls me to be a missionary somewhere else? And I'm like, well, I mean, he can most certainly do that, but obviously you're really distraught over this, so I don't think he's going to call you to do that. Oh, you mean that? I said, I mean, who knows, but probably not, since you're acting this way about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then what is he going to call me to do? I said, that's the beauty. I don't know. But it might be something today, right? Oftentimes we just think of God's calling on our lives as this big, massive calling. And it most certainly can be that, yes. But if we overemphasize it, we miss God's calling every day. Who knows what God is calling you to do this afternoon? Forget the rest of your life. Forget a career and job and retirement and plans. Like, what might God call you to today? What might God be calling you to before you walk out of this building today? What might God be calling you to in your family when you get home today? What text message might, be God, might God be calling you to send? What conversation is God calling you to have? That's a little bit different. So don't overemphasize calling to only be these massive, lifelong, life-changing callings. God is constantly calling you throughout your day. We just don't always listen. So don't overemphasize the calling. Secondly, don't hide behind a calling. Right, So often, especially as Christians, and if you grew up in the church, I'm going to talk a little bit more to you. It's like, well, you know, I can't do that right now because God's not called me to it yet. And I'm like, not how that works. No, no, you don't get to hide behind a he's not called me yet. It's the same thing as like, well, let me pray about it and see what he says. No, like God's word is true. I know his answer for you. (laughs) Right? Here's the reality. You and I have already been called. We both have. All of us, we have already been called generally in two ways, to know him more and to live for him. We are all called to do that. We are called to pursue him and to know him, but we are also called to follow him. We are called to live for him. So even if you don't have a burning bush moment like Moses, I promise you he's called. He has called you. And maybe it's something specific for a season. Maybe it's something in the moment that will happen one day. Maybe it is a a massive change in your life, job-wise, career-wise, but it's more than what we make of it, right? So whatever your profession is, I believe God has probably called you to that. How is he going to use you, right? Calling is not just a church vocation. Calling is when God does just that, when he calls you to do something, Does that make sense? Not if we're kind of on the same page. If not, if that's still confusing, let's talk a little bit later. But I don't want you going through the rest of this morning like, man, this was just like if God showed up in a burning bush. doesn't apply to me. Not how this story goes. God has called all of us to know him and to follow him. 
So here's what we're going to see next with Moses. So God goes through this whole calling. Moses, I'm sending you. You are going to be the solution to the Israelites' problem. And Moses quickly begins to backtrack and say, I don't think this is going to, this isn't a good idea. This isn't going to work out, God. So there are going to be four instances where Moses then goes back to God and says, you've got the wrong guy. I know you've called me to this, but God, you've not thought this all the way through. And the reason I want us to spend the rest of our time kind of dissecting these excuses is because I've heard myself say every single one of these. When God has called me, small things and large things, when God has called you, small things and large things, I bet you will resonate with Moses' excuses because I've heard myself say these before. So here they are. We're going to pay attention to what Moses says, but also how God responds. So verse 11, Moses says, or God tells Moses, go, and Moses says, no. Verse 11, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Say that phrase with me. Say, who am I? He's saying, God, you've got the wrong guy. Like, who am I to do this? Like, I'm a nobody. There's no way I need to be going and talking to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the known world. Like, I'm just minding my own business out in the middle of nowhere, trying to rebuild my life. Moses could even have told God, like, and you know, God, like, I've got a past. I've got a history. And Moses did. Moses had a past that included murder in his past. So he's like, who am I? I don't have any leadership. I don't have any prestige. I don't have any influence. I'm a nobody. So who am I to go and talk to Pharaoh? Not just talk to Pharaoh. Who am I to go and demand something of Pharaoh. We say that all the time. God calls us. God, I, I mean, who am I? I? I don't have what it takes, and I'm not who you think I am. I don't have it all figured out. I'm, I'm not smart enough. I don't, I don't, I'm not holy enough. I'm, we have all the excuse of, of why not me. Notice God's response. Verse 12, God answered. When Moses said, who am I? God said, I will be with you. In other words, Moses, it really doesn't matter because I'm going with you. God's reminding Moses, you're not going by yourself. You're going, and I'm going with you. So don't worry about the who am I. Don't worry about your lack of fill in the blank. God says, I will be with you. The same is true for us. When God calls you, whatever he might call you to, in regards to knowing him more and growing your faith and relying on him and trusting in him more, loving the people around you, whatever God is calling you to, know that he will always be with you. This isn't a task that he gives you and says, good luck, let me know when it's done. It's I'm calling you and I'm going to continue to walk with you. You're not going to have to figure it out on your own. You're not going to have to walk alone through any of the callings that God gives you. So who am I? God's like, it really doesn't matter. I'm with you no matter what. That wasn't good enough for Moses. He protests a second time, verse 13. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. Then they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? You can understand Moses' predicament here where he plays this out in his head, and we all do this too. We kind of play out the scenario where you show up to Israel, great news, fellow Israelites, the Lord God Almighty, the God of your ancestors showed up to me, none of you, but he showed up to me to come and tell you this, and by the way, I'm going to be the one to rescue you. How's that sound? And you can just imagine the Israelites like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense to us at all. That doesn't add up. And so one of those questions very well could be, so you and God have a personal conversation. You know God. You guys are buddy-buddy. He talks to you through the burning bush. Well, what's his name? 
Like you can imagine Moses trying to play that. I'm like, I don't know how to answer that one. I thought we were tight, but I don't even know his name. How close am I really? Did I actually hear from this God? So God gives him an incredible answer when Moses basically turns it around. He started saying, who am I? Now Moses says, so like, who are you? (laughs) What do I tell them about you? When they ask who sent me, how do I answer that? And God responds, I'll tell you who I am, verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. That doesn't seem like that helps at all, does it? The Israelites say, so who exactly sent you? And Moses, I am sent me to you. They're like, that doesn't even grammatically make sense, Moses. Try again. (laughs) Understand what God is saying, though. Understand the point of this. He says, I am who I am, I am has sent you. In other words, God is saying, I am all sufficient. I am is the answer to every one of your questions. Well, who's in control? I am. Whose plan is this? I am. Who's gonna make this work out? I am. Who's in charge? I am. Who's calling the shots? I am. Who created? I. Everything points back to God. He says, I am the all sufficient one. I'm in charge. I'm in control. I've got it, Moses. I am is all you need. The same is true for us. When God calls you, he is in control. Remember that. So often we think that God's call is just our idea and our plan, which means we have to figure it out, right? No, that's I am's job. The calling that God has placed on your life, again, to know him and to live for him, that's that's God's role. He's in charge. He's in control. It's not your idea, it's his. It's not your plan, it's his. And here's the great part. You ready for this one? You're gonna like this part. When there's a problem, whose problem is it to solve? Not a trick question. This is where we get hung up. It's his job. Let me say that again, because this is where we get hung up. When there's a problem with what God has called you to do, you run into obstacles. Keep reading the story of Moses. There's lots of them. It wasn't Moses' job to figure out the solution. It's when God showed back up and says, no, this is my problem, and I will continue to take care of it, not yours. We get into trouble when we start taking control away from God. So when God calls you, he is in control every step of the way. I am who I am. We need to be willing to follow him, make that trade, and say, God, I'll follow you. Here I am, and I will follow you. Are you keeping track? How many excuses are we at so far? That was the second one. Here's the third one. You got to go down to chapter four, verse one. But Moses protested again. We're on number three. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Man, those two words, at least in my life, I have played those two words over and over and over and over. Well, what if? Well, what if this doesn't work out? Well, what if this doesn't happen? What if I fail? What if this plan fails? What if, and then we fill in the blank and we chase all these scenarios down. Well, what if, and what if, and what if, and what if. Anytime that we are faced with uncertainty or an unknown, we begin to play the what if game. And that what if game usually doesn't go well. Because it never, those what ifs never lead to it working out. Well, what if this is a problem? And what if this, and what if? So he's facing an uncertainty. Moses is facing a great uncertainty. And he goes to God and he says, well, what if? And he even gives a few scenarios. Well, what if this and what if that? What do I do then? 
God gives a response that's a little bit different, maybe not what you would expect. It's definitely not what Moses would have expected whatsoever. He says, well, what if all these things happen, God? Then God responded, verse 2, then the Lord asked him, what's that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw, the, threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. I don't see how that's helpful at all at this point. Moses jumped back, of course, just like me. I don't do snakes. Verse 4, then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. I'll go talk to Pharaoh, but I'm not touching that snake. No chance. Reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Now, why would God do that? Again, remember the question that Moses is bringing. All right, so you're with me, great. You're the great I am, okay, but what if, here's all these other scenarios, how are you going to answer that one, God? This is why you shouldn't send me. I'm not the right person. You've called the wrong guy. And I love that God doesn't explain it. He shows it. I love that. Instead of trying to explain his faithfulness to Moses, God says, let me just show you that what I say is true, that what I promise you can hold on to, that when I say I'm faithful, you can hold on to that forever. So he gives them a, an example. Here's what's going to happen. Turn this into a snake. Now grab it. Now if I can do that, surely I'm going to be faithful in other ways. God continues. If you read on, he gives another example that proves his faithfulness and actually gives one for Moses' pocket. He gives us a third one. And if they still don't believe you, do this. In other words, God is helping Moses notice and see God's faithfulness, not just hear and intellectually understand God's faithfulness. Here's what that means for us. When God calls you, when God calls me to know him more, to live a life for him, to follow him, to exchange my will for his will, when God calls us to that and we begin to play the what if scenario, here's what God would challenge us, I believe, based on this story. Remember his faithfulness. When God calls and you're looking ahead and you see all the uncertainties and all the what ifs, can you pause long enough to look backwards and see, not just know and hear, but see God's faithfulness? Here's two ways to do that, just real quick if that's helpful. If that's you, you're stuck in what if mode, do these two things. I think it'll help. First one is personally. Begin to write down how has God been faithful in my life and the people around me. Don't just think about it because your mind's going to go in a hundred different ways. You're going to get distracted and you're not going to finish the exercise. Write it down. How has God been faithful to you personally and the people around you? And begin to write down how God has been faithful. You're going to have a long list. Even if you don't think for starting out, that list is going to get longer and longer. The other thing I would encourage you to do is go through the scriptures. Go through God's word because you get story after story after account after account of God proving his faithfulness to me and to you. It's one of the purposes of God's scriptures, is to go back and see his faithfulness. Look at what he did in Gideon's life. Look at what he did with Joshua. Look at what we did with Rahab. Look at what he did with Noah. We go through all these stories, and if God was faithful then, we're told that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God was that faithful then, he's still that faithful today. If God was faithful to them, he's going to be faithful to me. Psalm chapter 36, verse 5, David, King David writes about this idea. He says, your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. In other words, me and you cannot see the end of his faithfulness. It goes beyond the clouds, beyond what we can see. God is faithful. And so when we begin to play the what-if game with God, when he calls us to follow him, to live a life according to his word, 
to know him and pursue him. He says, look at my faithfulness. There's nothing that surprises me. I've been faithful. I will continue to be faithful no matter what. So that's his point to Moses when he starts to play. What if God says, I am faithful. Remember my faithfulness. All right, last one. We're at number four, where Moses is just like, nope, it's not me. It shouldn't be me. You've called the wrong guy. Send somebody else, anybody but me. Verse 10, this is one of his final pleads with God. Verse 10, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. I love that he's no longer protesting. He's just straight out begging. Please don't send me. Please don't call me to this. But Moses pleaded with God, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never been and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Now this is a fair argument. I feel like Moses saves his best for last. He's like, no, no, you might be with me, and you might be the great I am, but I am most certainly not that. You might be able to do this with snakes and sticks, but, I mean, I'm just Moses that can't speak to crowds, much less Pharaoh. So I can't. I can't. I've heard myself say that plenty of times. God, I hear what you're asking. I see what you're leading me to. But, God, I can't. I don't have that talent, that ability I don't have that time. I don't have those resources. I can't. I can't. I want you to hear what God says in response to Moses' I can't. Here's what God says. Verse 11. This is like a dad-son moment between God and Moses, it feels like. Listen to these words. Then the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? You just see where that's going. It's like, who created you? Right? You see where that's going? Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Moses says, I can't. Physically, I can't do this. And God says, I know you can't. That's why you need me. That is a very good place to be, church. If we were always a, hey, God, that's what you're calling to? No problem. Piece of cake. Super easy. I can do this on my own. What's the point? God wants us to be in a place where we say, I can't, because that allows God to move in and say, you're right, you cannot. But with me, you can. Whatever God calls you to, however God is calling you to grow in your faith, to trust more in him, whether that's something large or whether that's something relatively small, when God calls you, he will equip you. He most certainly will equip you to do what he's called you to do. I think oftentimes we focus too much on our talents and our gifts and our abilities. Maybe you've even taken like a spiritual gifts test, right? That spiritual gifts test, in my opinion, it's going to sound terrible. Maybe we need to pull this online so somebody can't you know, throw it back in my face later. I don't think it means anything. Here's why. Because if God's going to call you to something, he's going to give you what you need. It's not like, God, here's my resume. Choose a job that only fits in these qualities. God, I just need to let you know ahead of time. I'm willing to do whatever you ask, but make sure that it's only what I'm good at. Like, that's not how our God works. Every single one of us could say, I'm not qualified to do what God's calling me to do. And he says, I know, isn't it great? Because that means you need me. And you need to trust me. And you need to follow me. And you better not let go of me, because you're right. You're going to drown if you do this on your own. What God calls you to, he will equip you to do. Moses continues to fight back and forth a little bit with God. We finally get to a great verse, verse 20, 
So Moses took his wife and his sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. And in his hand, he carried the staff of God. I believe Moses started out saying, here I am physically. Like, yes, I am present here. I think by the time we get to verse 20 out of chapter 4, it's a very different posture. I think it's at that point that Moses says, no, here I am. Whatever you say, yes. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you ask, I will do. Because I'm trading my will with yours. So if you got your prayer card, looks like this, you're probably sitting on it. We've been doing these each week. I would challenge you to pray this prayer with me this week. Here it is. I'll put it up on the screen so you can write it down. Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. That's not you. That's not you just letting God know you showed up to church today. Yep, I'm here. Add a check mark next to my name. This is you saying, God, wherever you call me, my answer is yes. Whatever you're asking of me, I don't know how it's going to work out, and there's a lot of what ifs, and I don't think I'm the right person, but you know what? Okay. God calls us to know him more, to grow in our faith, to trust him more. You don't need to wait for a calling because he's already called us to that alone. So, Lord, here I am. To kind of help you navigate through what those prayers look like, maybe a little bit more practical and tangible, uh, let me put these up. I'm going to give you a few moments to begin to pray through some of these. Let me walk you through them, and then uh, I'll give you a moment. So if you're saying, Lord, here I am, God, what problem do you want me to help solve? That was Moses. There's a problem in Egypt. Moses, I want to send you to help solve the problem. He couldn't do it on his own. God had to be there with him, obviously. God, how do you want to grow my faith? God rarely... I mean, I don't know if I can say never. God can do what he wants, but I have not heard of God calling people to more comfort. Man, God called me this really cushioned, comfortable life. This is great. Usually it's the exact opposite. Usually God calls us and it costs us. It's a trade. It's, it's an exchange. So when you say, God, how do you want to grow my faith? It might be, God, where do you not want me to be comfortable? God, where are you pushing me? Where do you want to grow me? God, who do you want to love through me? God, I believe you've put people around me. So if I say, here I am, that means here I am for the people around me too. God, who needs what from me? What do you want to do in me so that you can do that through me for somebody else? Side note, just on that one, it's usually the people you don't want it to be, just saying that out loud. So get ready. Don't pray that if you're not ready for it because it's probably like, ah, oh, anybody but that one. For Moses, it was anywhere except Egypt. For you, it might be anybody except that person and i'm telling you that's who it is how can i join what you are already doing so often we just try to force things man god's moving do you know that god's working if you pause long enough you'll see where he's working jump in with what he's doing god how can i join what you're already doing we talked about this briefly god am i relying too much on my own talents abilities and resources i had somebody tell me brian it's a sin to rely on your own talent if you can do it without god what's the point so God, what are you calling me to that is beyond my ability, beyond my talent, beyond my personality and wires, wiring, beyond my resources that requires you to show up? Bottom line, Lord, I commit to being available and willing. Here I am. If you're willing, take a few moments and begin to pray that prayer of exchange. Your will for his. Take a few moments, then I'll lead us in communion.